1: everyone. Welcome to The Hash on Coindesk TV. If you're listening to us, you're listening on the Coindesk Podcast Network. And I hear that we have a lot of people downloading the podcast. So that's very exciting. Thank you for listening to us. I'm Jen Sinassi. Zach Seward and Will Foxley are here today giving us a little shimmy with the shoulders. Zach is at least. Will is just straight faced. Zach, you got our first story. What do you got today?
0: I got a little DeFi exploit. Mostly, it's about a huge number of tokens. Six quadrillion tokens were minted out of thin air (laughs) and roughly turned ultimately into about 5 million USDC. So $5 million exploit, not huge. We're talking about Anchor. It's a DeFi protocol that's based on the BNB chain, formerly known as the Binance. Smart Chain speaks to, again, all these little bugs in smart contract code are exploitable by those who know how to do it. It's a DeFi exploit, so I got to put Will in the spot. Will, was it you this time? Was it you?
2: It was not me, unfortunately. I wish I had, because oh, I'd be no. six hundred. Wow. Tokens.
0: Tokens. <laughs> Let's pretend though, that he just like didn't answer. He's just like, I will, I will not. <laughs> well, he's confirm out or of or the
1: brick room, bad, so maybe it was bad. him.
0: <laughs> uh, anyway, I'll toss to you, Jen. So this is uh, yet another DeFi exploit. This one not huge yet, it seems, but clearly this is happening and affecting BNB chain today.
1: Yeah. Every time I read about a DeFi exploit, I always think about how the regulators might be looking at this. And specifically today, I thought about the FTX implosion, the contagion that's happening in the industry, how regulators are looking at that and how regulators are looking at everyone in the industry saying, well, DeFi is actually a solution to this. I know it's not a massive exploit when we compare it to some of the exploits we've seen in the past, but I think that regulators look at something like this and they say, Well, we actually need to start looking at DeFi applications because we need to protect customers over there too. So I think, and I didn't follow this as it was happening. So Zach, correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like the anchor team responded very quickly. It looks like all customers that were affected are going to be reimbursed and they identified the problem, which I think is awesome as there is this extra scrutiny on the industry. And I think extra scrutiny probably on DeFi right now. I don't know if Will's back yet. Will, do we got you back?
2: Yeah, I didn't think it was ever gone, but here I am. Let's talk about this this little exploit here. Pretty interesting one to wake up to, and I think a lot of these stories are probably just going to go under the radar with what's happening with SBF and FTX right now. No one really cares about this, but DeFi keeps on turning. all these protocols or 24-7 autonomous to just keep running, and some of them are not very well built. And I think that kind of comes back to uh, the multi-layer debate, or the, I should say like the multi-chain thesis. We're seeing some of the flaws in that because a lot of times like the good developers and the good money is going to heavier chains like Ethereum. And then these other chains like BNB don't have quite as much traction for developer talent. And you see more hacks. So it's actually one of the thesis I'm sort of like leaning on going to the bear market next year is that we're going to see more hacks for these layer ones that don't have the developers to really appeal under the layers and look inside what's going on. Because this hack itself is actually sort of small. Like if you look at what Peck Shield said in the report, Anyone was able to do this. They'd go into the back end of the contract, change verifications, and able to mint themselves a quadrillion tokens. And then, you know, use that, just change some parameters on a few other things. And boom, you can print yourself a lot of different money. One other thing I want to bring up in here is Tornado Cash. So a lot of people think that Tornado Cash is gone because the US government sanctioned it with that OFAC sanction back in August. But that is not the case. Tornado Cash is still alive and well, just that not, not very many people are using it. Tornado Cash is a decentralized application. Built on top of Ethereum, there's a lot of different clones of it on different layers as well. And why people use it still, it's just still running. Uh, the thing is, it doesn't have as much volume. And if you have less volume, that means that your privacy is not as secure on these applications. But if people continue to use them for hacks, exchanges, and then people outside the US continue to use it, you might see tornado cash actually resume. So that's one other thing I'm looking for during the bear market is possibly tornado cash coming back into the limelight. Zach, I'll throw it back over to you, though, for your take.
0: I just wanted to say six quadrillion again. You said one quadrillion. It was six quadrillion (laughs) tokens. And that is a fun number to look at. Also, an interesting little cascade. Sort of all these systems tend to be a bit interconnected. That is one of the beautiful things about crypto. Composability. DeFi money Legos. You build one, stack it on top of the other. And that's how you get this rapid pace of innovation in DeFi development. But that also means that there, one issue can lead to a cascade of secondary issues. An issue that cropped up was on DeFi lending protocol, Helio, uh, where an opportunistic trader was able to kind of uh, use the anchor exploit to do a subsequent exploit. And that's also interesting to note and to watch. Yeah, composability. It's a feature and a bug, folks. It definitely is. All right, I think that's it for this one. We will change gears. Will, you have the next story.
2: Yeah, we have a nice new report from the Financial Times, actually detailing the history of Alameda and FTX's relationship, going back to a trade in 2021 and our favorite coin, MobileCoin, which is a privacy token for the Signal application. Doesn't like this is a really weird story. So we're gonna have to sit back and hold on with me. MobileCoin at the time spiked to about seventy dollars per coin, and this caused someone on FTX to take out a large loan on the platform taking uh, advantage of that large spike in the price of uh, mobile coin to turn it into USD. And then, of course, the price of mobile coin went back down to earth, and this person was sitting with a large loan on their hands, and the collateral they had given off to FTX was essentially worthless at that time, so it became a toxic asset. Alameda stepped in in the hole uh, to cover up that toxic asset, ended up being about a billion dollars. This gives a lot of insights into both FTX's and Alameda's relationship. But also gives some insights into how FTX was using its liquidation engine, which they were using, you know, going to Capitol Hill, going to regulators saying like other people should use their liquidation engine, but it didn't work in this case. So why would anyone else need to use it or have to use it? Shows a lot of breaches of how uh, any sort of margin exchange should work. The fact that they were not able to basically handle this shitcoin going to a very large price and someone being able to uh, you know, use the exchange and get a large loan out. I think it's a pretty interesting story just going back. Of course, we know that there's been some more stories out there about, like, Lunaterra. There seems to be some bad protocol parameters around how they handled that, and then also Alameda with all its bad debt from a few other loans. Zach, I want to throw the story over to you. Uh, brings me back to the hash early days when we were talking about mobile coin. Kind of funny that this was happening in the background and nobody would know about it because it was you know, behind uh, security parameters and just behind the picture.
0: The thing that stands out to me is that it was a two-way street. The relationship between Alameda and FTX, it wasn't just FTX illicitly taking customer funds so that Alameda could use it to plug holes. Obviously it was a reciprocal relationship where Alameda in this instance was helping FTX with a blunder on its end. So it does go to say that, you know, these companies that are often claimed not to be linked, they tend to be linked. Uh, crypto be like that, whether it's, you know, the US, outfit of a international exchange or other sort of affiliated or sister companies, you often see some of these relationships that are not as advertised and it makes it really hard to cover the space because uh, you know these people can publicly assert that, hey, Alameda and FTX are separate. You should treat them as separate. But in reality, when it comes down to it and things like this are exposed through subsequent reporting at a time when their stocks are tanking, they're sort of, again, metaphorical stocks here. These reports come to light and they expose the fact that no, actually they were tightly interlinked from the jump. So that to me is obviously, I think, the standout in terms of uh, what this story reveals. And I think it's something that, um, you know, crypto projects need to be more mindful of. Governance, clear delineation between affiliated firms, that stuff is really important, right? You want to make sure that you get off the ground with a clear footing in terms of uh, clear distinctions between affiliated firms so that you don't end up in a position like this where such things are blurred to the point of being unrecognizable. But Will, I saw your hand.
2: Yeah, I just wanna point out that CoinDesk did ask FTX for comment and have not received word at this time. One other thing I wanna point out is the similarity between the first two stories that we've done here. So Anchor protocol with its minting of a large amount of tokens, and then this failed ability to claw back Uh, collateral properly on FTX and Alameda back in the day. And that's because a lot of these systems work very similar, right? So for Anchor Protocol, they were able to print a lot of these tokens, use that as collateral, and then claw funds out of the system. And that's a decentralized fashion. In this instance with FTX and Alameda, it's a centralized fashion where the price of a token went up. Someone was using that as collateral, able to take out a loan. And when the price of that token went back down to earth, they were able to keep that loan, the USD value, and the USD value of that loan was greater than the collateral that was then sitting on FTX at the time. So in many instances, these centralized and decentralized platforms, they actually have the same fundamental issue they're battling against. It's just about how you set those parameters. So when you talk about DeFi systems, you have to plug that into the code base, right? You have to make sure that everything is liquidated correctly, that nobody's able to get into your backend and change your systems willy-nilly whenever they want. In a centralized fashion, you have to have good standards, just like you said, Zach. There shouldn't be a conflict of interest between a hedge fund, which Alameda was, and FTX, the exchange that Alameda was operating on top of. And you should have very clear delineations on when things can be liquidated and when things were not. I think that's a huge part of this whole story with FTX, is that a centralized exchange did not follow its own rules. And that led to a lot of people becoming hurt in the same fashion that a lot of people in DeFi right now with bad parameters. Financial primitive, so it's a little bit more excusable than with FTX. But in the same fashion, people get hurt either way. Zach, over to you, but also Jen's hand go up.
0: I just wanted to say that one more similarity here is that with big money on the line, people will go to great lengths to exploit these systems, be they centralized or decentralized systems, right? The whole thing here starts with some trader seeing the opportunity to significantly compromise the the balance sheet, basically, of of a crypto type. In this case, they saw a mobile coin. They saw an opportunity to profit from it. They did so at the cost of this company. I guess also in DeFi, you see this. I mean, you see this, right? These are big prizes. They are big piñatas, and people are highly incentivized to game the system in such a way where they can profit. Uh, and that is something that I think is sort of true of the entire crypto space. When there's big money on the line, uh, people go to great lengths to find ways to get some of that money. Uh, sometimes through like explicitly devious and criminal means. Sometimes through more fuzzy means, like is it was this trader acting maliciously uh, when they did this thing with MobileCoin, or were they simply acting on a market opportunity? And I think that's sort of those open questions, that fuzzy, that gray area that makes this space really interesting to think about. But just wanted to shout out that similarity as well, and I'll toss it to Jen for final thoughts.
1: This solidified for me that Sam Bankman-Fried should not be out there doing Twitter Spaces, doing interviews, as all of this information is being investigated and reported on by so many different people in the space. Just two days ago, we heard Sam Bankman-Fried say that Alameda and FTX were separate companies to his knowledge. You know, the two companies were more and more separate as time went on. This was just a year ago and shows how interconnected the two companies were. The other thing for me with the story is, okay, this is a year ago. The story says hundreds of millions up to a billion dollars were lost, could have been lost. Just a year ago, wasn't FTX spending massive amounts of money on marketing? They were sponsoring the Super Bowl. They're sponsoring sports teams. It just feels like if you know that there is this vulnerability in your business and this massive loss that you've had, why would you go out there and spend all, all of this money on this seemingly kind of fluffy marketing that you don't see that direct, you know, return on? It just is baffling to me as we start to piece together all of the questionable business decisions. But Will, I saw your hand go up.
2: Yeah, I think reports like this from the Financial Times and just getting the inside scoop from employees who have been at FTX for a while will lend some light onto the practices of both those firms and like how they're intertwined. And then also like the marketing spend. So to your point there, like Tom Brady, Giselle, Steph Curry, Miami Heat Arena, all these spends were going on at the same time that Alameda and FTX were losing customer money. And what it seems like is Alameda was almost incentivized to lose customer money, like could not get liquidated on FTX. There was a provision and a clause that they could not get liquidated. So they're almost certainly always going to have some sort of bad debt on FTX, which is a very poor incentive for anyone else to be using FTX. And also just pretty bad practice in general that put Alameda in this huge hole it's at. I think it also really hurts SBF's apology tour right now. The fact that they're spending this much money for so long. And that they were losing this much money. Certainly, SPF had to know about this issue, this one billion dollar hole caused by this mobile coin failure. Uh, even if he didn't know about the hole that was coming on from this, uh, from August and September when the price of uh, all these tokens were crashing, and he said that Alameda had a huge hole and he didn't know about it. Well, I mean, he had to know about this one billion dollar hole from two years ago or eighteen months ago. Certainly had to know about that. So I think it puts. A very large hole in his argument right now. Uh, Meanwhile, he keeps going on different uh, apology tours, talking to every media outlet he can.
0: Times are tough, particularly for crypto, but Bitstamp's different. Bitstamp is the longest running crypto exchange and among the most regulated in the world, which includes a bit license in New York and a payment institution license in Europe. And when it comes to your funds with Bitstamp, your crypto belongs to you. All your fiat and crypto are kept 100% separated. It's why CryptoCompare ranked Bitstamp the number one crypto exchange, awarding them the highest possible AA rating. Learn more at bitstamp.net. And
1: now we're going to head into the metaverse minute. You know what I like about that is they replaced that headshot that looks nothing like me anymore with something that looks vaguely more like me today. So good job, control room. <laughs> All right. Meta is back at it. It's been a while since we've spoken about Meta and their, and their metaverse. They are now attempting to influence digital policy. And this time it is in the metaverse. In a discussion paper released on Friday, Meta highlighted the collective effort going into building the metaverse, citing its metaverse standards forum that it helped start this year. You'll remember that's a forum of tech companies, both in Web2 and Web3, committed to creating the metaverse standards of the future. The company said it's important for policymakers to set fair rules for Web3 technologies to keep people safe and promote innovation. Zach, I'm tossing it off to you. Meta is still pushing this Metaverse narrative, although several layoffs and have cut back the budget on their Metaverse strategy lately.
0: I think Facebook is highly crypto bullish. You know, I think we often forget that they tried to launch a stable coin. Remember that, guys? Remember when they launched Libra and it didn't go anywhere and it got smacked around by regulators the world over? They're all about this Web3 thing and they want to make sure that their positions. Are being heard in DC. So it makes a ton of sense that they want to champion some of these things mentioned in here, including interoperability, the ability for digital assets that exist in one metaverse to travel to the next. So those are important things and someone should be advocating for it. It's sort of a messenger that's not going to be entirely well received in DC, but someone needs to be advancing the causes of metaverse interoperability if we're going to have a more immersive internet experience that is actually cool. That's my thoughts.
2: Let's talk about stock price a little bit. So Meta is actually down 63% year to date. And now they want to throw more money into this whole Mark Zuckerberg has been taking a lot of heat for pushing so much RD money into the metaverse project. It's been a loss leader for Facebook so far. And of course, it's also sort of hurt their stock price because that's the whole pitch, right? Meta changed its entire narrative from Facebook to Meta. They're all into the metaverse. And a lot of people have not been as warm to it as Mark Zuckerberg would have thought of. Uh, I think in his initial pitches, he somewhat, you know, decided this was going to occur because of you know, Metaverse is not that much of a project yet. It's maybe ten years away. People are not interacting with the Metaverse so far. So he's looking into the future as a technologist should do. But as a public company, it's getting a lot of heat. And now I'm looking at this headline. They're trying to go back into Washington D.C. after their failed attempts with Libra, the stablecoin, or DM the stablecoin, I should say. And putting more money into that, like lobbyists and lobbying are expensive and they're going to keep doing that. And the last time they did it it did not go so well and put a lot of money to that. So I am not super bullish on this, but who knows? We'll see what happens. Zach, throw it over to you. Actually, Jen, Jen, you should go first.
1: Yeah, I'll quickly jump in there. I thought the interoperability part was also interesting, Zach, because they said, you know, they want people to be able to operate in their metaverse and then take the digital assets that they earn there that they've brought into that metaverse and bring it to any other world or any other metaverse. It made me start thinking is Facebook or Meta the right company to allow this to happen given you know the walled gardens that we always talk about in web3 Facebook is definitely one of those walled gardens that owned web2 web3's whole mantra is to move away from that and this interoperability piece is something that's already being solved in the web3 gaming space. And so is Meta the right company to solve this problem by talking to regulators in Washington or are the people who are already building in this space already offering interoperability within the Web3 gaming space for people to take assets from game to game, the ones who are going to do it? I don't know, Zach, I know you're into gaming kind of. What do you think? I
0: am? Okay. Yeah, sure. Meta, uh, you
1: know, they got <laughs>
0: they create a big wake. They are a big player. And so they may have the ear of lawmakers in a way that some scrubby Web3 developer really wouldn't. So I think, you know, Web3 is indeed about a more decentralized, you know, less centralized power, but DC works around people who accumulate power and wield it well. We saw that with SBF in uh DC. He was trying to be a figurehead in DC and it backfired pretty spectacularly. Of course, now he's being invited by Maxine Waters to come do his apology tour on Capitol Hill. So maybe it did actually work out pretty well for him ultimately in the end. It is a fact of the world that you need to have a big presence in DC to advance these conversations around emerging technologies. And is Meta the ideal messenger for some of these things? No, absolutely not. But if they are going to advance it in a good faith effort, especially around interoperability standards, then more power to them. Someone needs to take on those lobbying bills. And I would much rather it be meta in this instance than some scrappy upstart metaverse project that's looking to make web three interoperability a thing so someone someone has got to do it or else walled gardens are what you know the world knows and i think that that conversation needs to be advanced in a way that is comfortable to u.s lawmakers at present those are my thoughts i
1: like those thoughts you know
0: tam you guys you guys just violently agree (laughs) that
2: that is amazing no, I don't think I have Thank much you. more on that topic, to be honest. Like Facebook and Meta, like their presence in DC is somewhat expected at this point. Maybe I do have one more thought that I want to bring up, and that's the fact that Mark Zuckerberg is so detested and disliked among tech circles, even though he hasn't done anything. So I think this is something interesting to bring up with SBF and Mark Zuckerberg since they're sort of both in the headlines at the moment. What is the reason for like the dislike and distaste between the two of them? Because SBF was given so much love. He was a media darling. And yet he's, you know, caused this huge problem for so many people with millions of customers and billions of dollars lost. Mark Zuckerberg, on the other hand, you know, he tried to build Diem. He tried to build a stable coin that brought in actually a lot of institutions into crypto. And now he's trying to build a metaverse. And you know, in some ways he's almost just as reviled as SPF. It's very odd. Zach, i want gonna throw that over to you, get your thoughts on it.
0: I mean, it's always been easy to score cheap political points by bashing on Mark Zuckerberg, right? Like Facebook and Misinformation and election tampering and just the general kind of level of trash that has surfaced in Facebook in recent years was something that resonated with a wide swath of the American population because everyone's on Facebook for better or worse. Not everyone is on FTX, right? Crypto is still niche. The dollar figures are certainly there in terms of harm caused. But I think as something that is sort of a shared, uh, like pain point, there's definitely much more that resonates with. U.S. voters when you're talking about how Facebook is terrible than talking about, I don't know, FTX and whatever comes after it. So I think that is part of the package, right? Like Libra came out against the headwinds of stuff that like people hated Facebook for reasons that weren't associated with crypto or stable coins, right? And so when that message was taken to Capitol Hill, it was met with significant blowback. Hopefully that's not the case this time around. And I think sort of the Web2 figurehead scene has also changed, right? I mean, you have Elon Musk at Twitter. You have Bezos kind of receding into the background a bit. You still have Zuckerberg to kick around or to hear out. And I think it's going to be interesting to see which lawmakers do both of those things. Jen, I'm giving it to you.
1: Zach, thank you for tying that all together. You've just done such a good (laughs) job at rounding up all of our thoughts today. I wanted to, I know we were rounding it down. And I just want to take one last opportunity to say, Six quadrillion. <laughs> what mm. a crazy number. I don't know when we're going to get to say that again. Crazy hag. Zach, take us
0: home. <laughs> big shout out to big numbers. You love the big numbers. They're just so fun. Anyway, they're infinite. I hear. Anyway. All right. That's it for the show today. It's a Friday. Uh, we hope you have a good weekend. I'm Zach. That's Jen. That's Will. for The Hash. Thanks for sticking it out with us today and throughout the week. We're happy you're here. Check us out on Coindesk TV. Coindesk Podcast Network It's also pretty cool. And there's a lot of great stuff to read on coindesk.com too. Also, Will and Jen, they make good tweets. Go find them and like them and retweet them. Yes. That's it. Look at that. I, I agree. Zach. Zach's tweets are okay. Zach they're makes man. great tweets.
1: I'm going to disagree uh, with good. Will. Go find Zach.
0: they so-so. They're pretty good. We're so-so. We'll go do some tweets. All right, that's it. Bye, everybody. Thanks for being here. We'll see you on Monday. Bye. Bye.